Now, Birdsong, fun and fascinating talk about the top stories in today's headlines. Birdsong may just be the most qualified talk show host in the business, thanks to his many careers in law, government, and education. Here's your host, Leonard Birdsong. Hello, folks. This is Birdsong back with you for another week. Glad to be here on the radio. Got my friend EJ with me. We've got a good show for you today. There's lots of good, bad, and ugly in the news that we want to talk about. I've got a guest of this show, Nancy Quattrano is her name. She's an author, and uh, she helps people write books. She's a real dynamo. You'll hear from her. Of course, there will be some dumb criminal law stories, and I have some information about the Constitution. Do you know it was signed, the U.S. Constitution was signed 231 years ago this month. Most people don't know that, but we'll talk about it. There's so much in the news. Let's start with the good not a lot of good stories, but some interesting ones. I came across an article in a New York paper, and here's the headline. Let him grope? Oh, hell no, nope. Now, this is a story about a gal who pummels a pervert in the subway in New York City. The story was written by um, a woman by the name of Catherine Lavaca. She writes, he groped the wrong gal. A feisty Staten Island woman fought back against a creep who groped her in the Manhattan subway station by chasing him down and grabbing him back, according to a video footage released by the New York Police Department. Good for her. Yep. Her name is uh, Chantal Castanon. She's 26. She lives in um, Emerson Hill and works in real estate. And she was coming down the stairs at the 42 Street Grand 42nd, Central Subway, 42nd, 42nd Street. Street. What did I say, 46? It's 42nd Street. That's where all the theaters are, too, isn't it? 42nd Street. Broadway. Broadway. Okay. Well, anyway, it was 2 p.m. in the afternoon on August 31st when the perv was going up the stairs. He squeezed her rear end, according to the police. She then started chasing him. He steps, uh, the story says uh, she gra- he grabbed her left butt cheek and she was mad about this. He took off running and he went, she went after him, jumping over turnstiles. She wow. finally caught up with him, pummeled him several times and was holding him for the police. He started yelling, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Wow. However, he was stronger than her and got away. Mm. However, the police have it all on video. And uh, p- police say they're hunting for the groper. He seems to be between 20 and 30 years old, five foot six to five foot eight, approximately 225 pounds. Oh. Good for her. No arrest has been made yet, but with him on video and hanging around subway stations, they probably will. Good for you, girl. You I'm, go, girl. I'm glad they have video cameras. In the subway system. Yeah, well, they have to. You know, so the the New York subway system is really degrading. I mean, it's really going downhill. I only lived in New York for a short time. It was scary enough back then, but it's gotten real worse. So that's the first good story I want to tell you about. As you know, I spent much of my life in Washington, D.C. Here's a good story from Washington, D.C. The headline of this story Cause of huge fire at senior apartment complex still uncertain. D.C. helping residents to find housing. The story is about a, 
an apartment complex that caught fire last Wednesday, and uh, it remained unstable after the fire. People put it out, and there are 161 households in what's called the Arthur Capper Senior Public Housing Complex complex in southeast Washington, D.C. That's near the uh, Washington, D.C. Naval Yard. It's also across from the, U- the United States Marine Barracks in Washington, D.C. And the good part of this story is the f- building caught on fire and it was raging, coming fire coming through the roof. And the Marines at the base, the off-duty Marines, started running to the fire to help out the residents. Kudos to them. Indeed. The uh, article that I have says the fire started at 3.20 on last Wednesday, 3.20 p.m., and it was on the roof of the apartment complex. And passersby and Marines from the nearby barracks started running into the burning building as thick smoke came out of the building. The Marines, hell, some of them went and got wheelchairs and rushed to the apartment building, and uh, everyone was carried out. No one died. I guess there were some minor injuries, and uh, the marshals, the fire marshals, couldn't get in for quite a while to see what started the fire, but a strange follow-up to the story came few days later, as a matter of fact, it came back on Monday of this week, they found a 74-year-old man was alive in the senior housing complex that burned, but he was not evacuated because, I guess, on his floor, he lived on the second floor, the fire did not get down there. It started near the top of the building. The problem is the man was in the building in his little apartment the senior citizen home has one and two-bedroom apartments. He was there for five days after the fire, and basically he didn't leave his apartment. When the inspectors did get in, he heard them and started yelling and beating on the floor, and so they came to his uh, uh, his rescue. And it's all very strange because they thought that all of the residents had been taken care of. And evacuated. And evacuated. And this poor fellow who's 74 years old sitting there on his couch saying, I'm glad you finally got to me. <laughs> well, that's a good story. And He hadn't eaten, right? I don't think he ate. It doesn't say specifically. Maybe he had some food, but he was just sitting there pleasantly in his clothes, in his slippers with his oh, cane. Wow. But that's a good story. He was rescued, as were all of the other 132 older residents of this building. I saw that on TV. I, that was a good uh, a good visual. Uh, seeing those Marines running to save those uh, seniors, running with these wheelchairs, they just hopped right to it. That's right. That's what our Marines do. That's I think they're trained for that kind of thing. It takes bravery to run into a burning house. Mm-hmm. All right, we've got to move on. Uh, we've talked about the good, the lady who got the groper. I love that headline. I'm going to read it to you again. It says, let him grope. Oh, hell nope. <laughs> Let's get on to the bad. Now, there's some bad in the news Everyone, I'm sure, has heard the story now. 
Bill Cosby is sentenced to three to 10 years in state prison. What does that mean? And let me just go back one second and say the police are still looking for that guy in the subway because he did commit a crime. Yeah, he did commit a crime. Mm -hmm. All right. At any rate, talking about Bill Cosby, he's sentenced to three to 10 years in state prison. That's called an indeterminate sentence. He has to spend three years before he's eligible for probation, and he can stay in jail no longer than 10 years if he's still alive. He's 81 years old. A story says that comic legend Bill Cosby, a once-beloved father figure and moralizing African-American cultural icon, was sentenced to three to ten years in state prison. And because of a sexual assault case that capped off one of the first trials in the Me Too era. In his ruling, the judge, Stephen O'Neill, said the evidence that Cosby planned the drugging and sexual assault of his victim was overwhelming. And it was based on Cosby's own words in a civil deposition. Cosby, as you may remember, was convicted on April 26th of this year of three counts of aggravated indecent assault for the 2004 drugging of Andrea Constant, who's now a 31-year-old. She was a 31-year-old Temple women's basketball official. Supposedly he was mentoring her. Now, They took him off to jail in handcuffs that very day. When you are sentenced, and if you're sentenced to prison, they take you away right away normally. And that's what happened. As a matter of fact, poor Mr. Cosby is going to have to register as a sex, what is it, a sex predator, sexual predator. He, um, His attorneys asked that he be given a house arrest, but the judge said no, these crimes all committed, in his, committed house. <laughs> in, in his house and he should be sent to prison. And that's where he's going. You mean pending appeal? Well, no. In this case, he's going to appeal, but he's going to jail first. The judge says he's going to be stepped back forth with. That means he goes to in custody that very day. That was uh, yesterday and he will go to jail he can appeal he can appeal as soon as the sentence is over that's when the sentence is announced that's when he his appeal time starts running well at any rate he was a good pitch man on television he had a great show that showed that african americans can be upper class people live in houses be professionals yeah it was good on nbc he made a lot of money for it from it and we're sorry to see him like this. However, it's obvious that he had some kind of problems. With all the money and fame he had, he had to drug women to have sex. He's married to his wife for 54 years. Was he really? Yep, that's 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 what I read. Well, I feel sorry for her. She must not have, um, I, I don't know what her her issues are, whether she loved him despite or had some dependency needs that she couldn't leave him. Or what? But I know she must have known that this was going on in the house. Something must have come up where she discovered it and just tried to ignore it. Yes, I think she did, really. I think she did. Okay. Mm. All right. Well, we wish him well. Um, He was duly convicted by a jury, and he has the appeal rights. I don't know that we wish him well. No, we do (laughs) wish him well. Even people that I represented that when I was a prosecutor that I sent to jail or helped send to jail, I wish them well. I mean, jail or prison can be a horrible place to be. Mm-hmm. 
It can be dangerous. Mm -hmm. It can be isolating. And again, I, even though I was a prosecutor and helped put people in prison, I did not want to see them suffer. And I never had a case that was a death penalty case. So, but anyway, I, I do it wish their health, that it, I, it health really does. And, and physical uh, health. Yep, it does. So at any rate, we, we, we see that justice has been served in Bill Cosby's case and his accusers have gotten vindication. So right. let's, let's move on to the next bad story. Here, we're now at Dallas, Texas. The Dallas Police Department this week fired Officer Amber Geyer on this past Monday after an internal affairs investigation in the fatal shooting of her neighbor, for which the officer already faced a manslaughter charge. Oh, that woman. Yes, that woman. She allegedly walked into the apartment of her neighbor, a fellow by the name of Botham Jean, and fatally shot him on September 6th. She was arrested three days later. The officer claimed she entered his home thinking it was her own apartment and mistook him for a burglar. Yeah, we thought there was more to that story. I really do think there's more to it. She lived in the apartment directly under his. He lived on the 14th floor. She lived on the 13th floor. And again, we don't know if they knew each other, but from what I've read subsequently neighbors heard her the night saying let me in she was banging on the door when she claimed that she mistook that to be her own house that's right her own apartment yep so we don't know whether she had been drinking or had drugs or what she was just tired she worked a 13-hour shift i think it was on the police department so maybe she was just tired but there's, Why would she say, let me in to well, your own, own apartment? It, it, do, it doesn't make any sense, and we haven't heard, and that's why this is a bad story. There's more to this story. Right. Well, the police, the, the police weren't uh, sure they wanted to do an internal investigation while there was there were charges pending, right. but the family pushed for them to do that, and they, their internal investigation resulted in this firing. Right. I think she needed to be fired, police or not. This guy's living in his own apartment, not bothering anyone. Now, they tried to smear him afterwards. I read that he supposedly had some marijuana in the apartment. Now, I don't know how much it was, but this fellow worked for an accounting firm. He was an accountant. He'd gone to school in the United States, became an American citizen. I well, just don't know what all She didn't say, open up it's the police. <laughs> she certainly did. I'm didn't. coming to search for drugs. Yeah. So that wasn't that is of no consequence. All right. So we've done the good. We've done the bad. Now let's talk about the ugly. Now, the ugly is this whole thing about Brett Kavanaugh trying to get on the Supreme Court. He was nominated by President Trump and he's been going through his hearings for confirmation. It seemed like everything was going fine until a lady by the name of Christine Ford came forth with allegations that he tried to rape her when they were in high school. At a party. At a party, and that he was drinking. And uh, she's going to testify on Thursday of this week. And supposedly the senators are going to have a special woman prosecutor come in to do the questioning. But now, the whole thing about Brett Kavanaugh is, you know, he's got the background. He went to uh, Tony private school for high school. He went to Yale, 
college. He went to Yale Law School. He's worked in the um, Bush administration. He worked on uh, the um, impeachment against uh, Clinton years ago. He was on the staff of Starr, the guy who ran Ken that. Star. Ken Starr. That's exactly right. Uh, he's got the pedigree. He's already on the D.C. Court of Appeals. That's a very important He's clerked court. the Supreme Court. Yes, he he, he, he Anthony yes, Kennedy. He, he did right? clerk at the Supreme Court. However, we know that things kept happening with this nomination after Miss Ford came forth with her allegation. Then a second woman came across. Miss Ramirez says when he was in a freshman, freshman at year. Yale. He put her his genitals in her face at a drunken dorm party. And today, the day of this taping of this show, we've had a third woman come across. Her name is Miss Setnik, Swetnik, I'm sorry. And she says that she was at Gaithersburg High School, which is in the vicinity of where all of this took place. And she knew that Mr. Kavanaugh was a drunk who used to try to get women drunk and they had sexual orgies and all of this sort of thing. Now, trains, they ran, they trains, ran a train. Trains on women. Young men were lined up to go into a room and have sex with a woman that had, was already drunk and couldn't resist. But the worst part of all of this is that there's something changing every day about this. But the worst thing was on Monday of this week when Mr. Kavanaugh went on TV to tell the public that he's not going anywhere, he's not going to withdraw his nomination because all of these things are not true, and all he wants is a fair hearing. Well, balderdash. Fair hearing, why won't they have the FBI investigate all of these charges? Well, is fair. he afraid that it's going to come out that he did all of these things? Mm -hmm. They've looked at his yearbook from high school. He's had just, you know, today a number of his former classmates at Yale said he wasn't the choir boy that he tried to show himself on Fox News earlier this week. As a matter of fact, they said that he was a stumbling drunk. Mm -hmm. He tried to paint himself as an academic star. Maybe he was and an athlete. Maybe he was. But a lot of people are saying now, when I say a lot, at least four of them have come forward to say, he is not what he told tried to or tried himself. to hold himself out as. Now, we all made mistakes when we were younger, but, you know, the truth will out. Also, karma is a bitch. You know, you do certain things, and they come back to haunt you. Now, what am I talking about right here? More of the ugly is the hypocrisy of Brett Kavanaugh. He was on the staff of Ken Starr when Starr was impeaching or helping leading to the impeachment of Clinton 20 years ago. And he was tasked with writing some questions for the senators, or no, for Mr. Starr, and they were very, very raunchy questions. I can't read all of them on the air, but this was back in 1998. He was trying to prove or establish that Clinton had uh, a pattern of, bad behavior with women. And so he gave some questions to Mr. Starr, and one of them was, Sir, do you, would it be true if Monica Lewinsky says you inserted a cigar in her vagina while you were in the Oval Office? 
and other questions like that. However, when the staff at the White House tried to prepare him for this second hearing that's supposed to appear on Thursday, they tried to go into things he may have done, and he refused to answer because he says those things are too personal. I don't want them to come out. Well, all the things you wrote for Mr. Starr were not used, but you said in a, mem- uh, a, a memo that these questions are the ones that should be asked, but these are the kinds of questions that may be asked to him. Will he lie? I think yes. I think he's lied all through this. Well, at any rate, that's the ugly. The ugly of the week right now is the Judge Kavanaugh investigation. He can dish it out, but he can't take it. Yep, that's for true. The president should be asked these things, but not somebody up for Supreme Court. Yeah, well, it's it's pretty sad, really. I, you know, this the the. The Republicans want him on the bench because he's a reliable partisan who will do all the things that the Republicans want, do away with Roe versus Wade, they say, and other things. I don't know if he will do that, but he's certainly written things that indicate that he's not, in fact, a fan of Roe versus Wade. He also thinks that a president, a sitting president, shouldn't be investigated while he's in office. This is one of the reasons that Mr. Trump nominated to be a Supreme Court judge. He wants to help him save himself. So we will see what happens, folks. This has been the news of the good, the bad, and the ugly for this past week. How do you want to cap it off for us, EJ? I just wanted to mention that other person we heard about, the person who used to who questioned uh prepared questions at the, on on the republican staff when uh when uh Anita Hill came before them and uh he found out later that the republicans knew that the justice Clarence Thomas had committed those things but they didn't care and that they just wanted to get their conservative uh choice on the on the court and that he's gone to many parties and seen during those days and saw uh, Kavanaugh when you had all the uh, conservative operatives um, of the day, Laura Ingram, etc., and um, that he was very political. And in watching Hillary Clinton speak, he called her the B word. So this guy is can't be considered objective and taking objective positions once he gets to the court. He says he's always shown dignity to all women. Balderdash. This is Birdsong. I'm here with my friend EJ. Stick with us. We're going to talk to our guest next. Hello, folks. This is Birdsong back with you. I've got EJ with me today. We just talked about the good, the bad, and the ugly. We've got a guest coming. She's a colleague. Nancy Quatrano is her name. Nice lady. She says that she's just an average woman, but that's not so. She's an author. She's a wife, a mother, a grandmother, and a business owner. She and her husband, Carmine, are staffed to three felines and caretakers of three acres of pine lands in central Florida. 
She's president of her Rotary Club. She helps her rural community as she can. And she's an award-winning author of two mystery series. She writes two books a year. I'm glad to have her as a friend. Nancy, this is Birdsong. Thanks for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> it's taken too long, but, you know, you just call yourself an average woman, but you certainly do a lot. You're really a dynamo, and we're glad that we have you here in Central Florida. Now, tell us what you're writing about. I know you've won some some um, some awards, uh, but I think you are a, a mystery writer, right? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, pretty much where my heart's always been. I'm one of those, you know, people that grew up on Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys and all of those kinds of adventures. So that seems to be where my heart has always lied. <laughs> so I do, I write, mur- uh, one series is a murder mystery, strictly murder mystery. Um, the other series that I co-author with um, D.K. Lutis out of New Jersey, We that series is inspirational. Um, it is mystery-based, but it won't always be a murder mystery. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's been a lot of fun to have two slightly different series, but it's a challenge, too. Yeah, of course. Now, you are also involved with the Ancient City chapter of the Florida Writers Association. Isn't that right? Absolutely. Um, now I've I'm been be a volunteer real with, yeah, I've been a volunteer with that group, I guess, seven or eight years now, but I'm now the co-leader with Judy Weber, mm-hmm. and uh, we meet the third Saturday of each month and try and have speakers that will help the writers in the area to, you know, grow in their writing or their marketing or whatever it is they need. Well, you know, I'm going to be transparent here. I know you invited me to speak to that group a year ago, and I had a lot of fun with them. Yeah, you spoke to our Sisters in Crime group, absolutely, and they had a lot of fun with you, too. (laughs) Well, you've got so many groups. I should tell the people that you are also, you have a small publishing company, but you also help people edit their books, and develop their stories. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, I, for some reason, have the ability to kind of take a story and see it, what it looks like, you know, kind of from the technical side. And that's been able to help me be really strong in the development um, side of the editing equation. You know, there's a lot of different types of editing. But um, this is fun because you can see a story, especially – you know, authors are so passionate. We're so passionate about what we're writing and the theme of it and, and what it means to other people and all of those things. Sometimes when we write it, it's not exactly clear. So I'm the person that can kind of take an objective look at that and say, well, no, your chapter one needs to be chapter six and your chapter five needs to be chapter one and, you know, those kinds of things. <laughs> yeah, I just do a whole bunch of, you know, moving moving the coins. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's that's a good thing to know about because I've done some writing myself, and I know just what you're saying. Sometimes you you write from your heart, but sometimes you need to, I guess, move it around some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you write two books a year. Where do you find time to do this? <laughs> or how do you find time to do it? Yeah, somebody asked me not too long ago, she said, what do you do, manufacture it? And I said, no, I get the same <laughs> 24 hours you do. I just probably sleep less. Um, <laughs> and to be honest with you, I mean, my theory, my, 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 my theory about writing, if you're going to, if you're going to write on a consistent, steady basis, you have to do it every day. Um, I'm not somebody that can promise you I'll do a thousand words every day or 10,000 words a week, but I can promise you I will write on my work at least every day. 
Um, and sometimes it's in, it's in, you know, dribs and drabs. It could be, you know, a half hour in the morning. It might be an hour in the evening. But wherever I can get some, some, some space in there, I will try and put together a scene or, you know, work out whatever, whatever needs to be done to move it forward. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the awards you've won for your writing. Oh, geez. Don't be um, modest now. Come on, don't yeah. be modest. Well, I think, you know, it starts way back. I, I started in uh, 1994 to kind of look at writing commercially. I've always written, but it was more corporate uh, communication type things, training manuals, that kind of stuff. Right. But in 94, I got involved. I took a fiction writer's course at Mercer County College in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And when I got done, the teacher said, you know, you need to be in a writing group where you can, you know, learn the business and learn all the aspects of fiction writing. So I did, and I joined the New Jersey Romance Writers, which was the biggest group in the whole region back then. Um, and, you know, their generosity, that uh, being so close to New York City, we had a lot of editors and agents that would come down for lunch on a Saturday. or uh, You know, we had a lot of professionally, traditionally published authors that, were very generous in teaching us the craft of writing. So my first award was probably 19... I sold my first commercial work in 1999. Mm -hmm. My first award was probably in 2001. Mm -hmm. And I've won in Florida, and I've won around the country with romance pieces, and the Writer's Digest um, uh, competition. I was was an honorable mention, which was a lot of fun. Well, congratulations. Yeah, that was in 2010, and that story was actually bought by by a traditional publisher and was out for a while. Mm-hmm. So, well, let me just since you brought that up, do you uh, are you an advocate or uh, are you in in favor of self publishing nowadays? It's so easy to do it. Uh, I am if it's going to get done right, and by that I mean. Professional authors that are kind of learning, have learned the trade, have been in the craft a while, have been in the business a while, understand that writing that first draft is just the first step. Right. There's a lot of editing and rewriting and rebuilding and those things. Um, And that's what traditional publishing used to make us do, to be able to sit down and push a button because you wrote a man, you know, because you have a lot of words in a file isn't exactly the same thing in my my mind. If you want it to sell, you want to build a fan base, you want to build a following. Um, fiction or nonfiction, the book has to be really well done. Right. You know, edited, professionally edited. It needs to be professionally formatted. It needs to have a professional cover. It needs to have all of those elements because without them, you have no credibility, number one. But number two, you know, you're going to sell to the, if you're really fortunate, 55 people in your friends and family circle, and that's probably about it. So I am a fan of us being able to do that, but I really am pretty adamant, you know, with with writers to tell them that they really need to be able to budget for all it takes to do that properly. Right. And I've learned that lesson from having to be an academic writer. We, um, as law professors, had to write a lot, and it was not unusual to have go through 20 drafts of an article before you could get it out. But anyway, those are the bad old days of when I was teaching. 
now I'm 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 retired from that, but you know I still like the fact of finding dumb criminal law stories and writing about them and talking about them. But you help people, and you have a website. I think it is, or is it your email? If anyone wants to get in touch with you, I understand that you can go to nancy at ontargetwords.com. Tell us about that. Yeah, the website is ontargetwords.com, and uh, that's W-O-R-D-S. I don't spell it with a Z. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's just, just my mother, the English teacher, beating me mm-hmm. from the grave. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But at any rate, uh, and I have quite a few resources out there that I try and make available for people, but you can kind of see the books that we've uh, published and edited through at that website. But anybody's more than welcome. I invite anybody to, to just send me an email if you have something you'd like me to take a look at. I offer a free consultation. Um, you know, I, I'll look at 10 pages or 15 pages of what you're working on and kind of give you some direction if I can. Um, and that's all through On Target Words. My author's site is... Uh, is nlquatrano.com. All so, right. Um, yeah, thank but you. Let, let me let me just get straight here. I'm I'm not clear. I thought that if someone wanted to write to you, they could get you at nancy at ontargetwords.com. They most certainly can. That's the email that's attached to my website. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. But the website is ontargetwords.com. Right. Well, mm-hmm. it's so so good to talk to you. What is your latest book, and where can we find it? Oh, my latest book, uh, Merciful Blessings, published by Two Stone Lions, came out in March. That's the most recent book. That's the one I write with D.K. Lutis. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Murder yeah. Mysteries, the last one out, was Still Shot. And uh, the one I'm working on for that series is called Gone in a Flash. All right. And I Are anticipate that that will be out in uh, the end of November. Can we find them on Amazon.com? Oh, yes. Yes, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, almost all of them. Well, very good. Nancy, mm-hmm. it's great talking to you, and uh, you've done a lot for the writing community, and I thank you for coming on. It's good to talk to you, okay? Yeah, same here. Thank you so very much, and uh, I wish you all the best. Thank you. We'll talk again, okay? You bet. Thank you. Take good care. Bye. All right. All right, folks. Thank you very much. That was Nancy Quatrano. She's a writer and an editor and has a little publishing company. A very dynamic young lady, and I'm glad to know her. At any rate, this is Birdsong. I'm here with EJ today. We're part of the way through the show. We've had our guest. We're going to come back with some dumb criminal law stories and some riddles for you. And I have a little quiz about the Constitution, so stick with us. I'm back with you. have got EJ here. I'm going to read you some dumb criminal law stories that I put together in May of this year. The first one comes from Indiana. Hit the headline, Raining Cash in Indianapolis. As a swirl of cash rained down on an Indianapolis highway in early May of this year, there was a mad scramble for the loot among motorist and fence-jumping fence neighbors. It appears that the money estimated to be as worth as much as $600,000 flew out of a Brinks armored car truck when its back door flew open during a morning rush hour. Indiana State Police Corporal Brock McCoon asked the takers to return the money, 
or face theft charges. Yeah, right. And <laughs> I'm sure they're not going to get some of that money back. Here's one from Japan. The headline reads, Achu. Japanese police are investigating reports of a middle-aged man offering two male high school students $9 to sneeze in front of him. It is not clear if the man who offered the payments at a train station in the city of Hamamatsu broke any laws. However, police insist the probe is in the interest of maintaining public safety and order. Achoo! This one from Madagascar. Madagascar is a big island off of the, uh, what is it, the east coast of Africa. The authorities say the home was a shell hole. That's the headline. Authorities say the home was a shell hole. Police and wildlife officials raided a filthy, smelly home and found it crawling with more than 10,000 endangered tortoises. The rare radiate tortoises, which can weigh up to 35 pounds, were likely being farmed for an international pet smuggling ring, said authorities, who made three arrests at the home. The house was like a shell hole. <laughs> All right, Massachusetts. The headline on this one, Fingered by Play-Doh. Fingered by Play-Doh. A shoplifter in the town of Leicester, Massachusetts, used Play-Doh to muffle a Walmart security alarm, but left the Play-Doh behind, which had captured his fingerprints perfectly. The print led police to a fellow by the name of Dennis Jackson, who's 55, who was charged with unlawful removal of an anti-theft device. Finger by Play-Doh. Here's one from Missouri. As a matter of fact, Independence, Missouri. It's clear the headline says, A Poor Prank. A high school senior was suspended for three days and barred from walking in his graduation this past May after he put his school up for sale on Craigslist as a prank. His name, Kylan Scheel. He's 18. He admitted to posting the online ad that listed Truman High School for sale at $12,725. The ad says, huge 20-plus room facility, newly built football field. Reason for sale is due to the loss of students coming up. That's what the ad read. No one, there were no takers, but he didn't walk in his graduation this past May. Yep. Here's one from New York. Yep, it was a very bad call, says the headline. A fugitive hiding out in western New York State is back behind bars after accidentally dialing 911 and leading police right to him. His name, Hessa Graham, 53, inadvertently dialed a number on a Friday night in May while laying low in the town of Lyons. Police checking out the call learned Graham was wanted in North Carolina on a warrant. It was not immediately clear why. Nevertheless, he was charged with being a fugitive from justice as well as having marijuana in his position. Yep, it was a very bad call, folks. <laughs> All right, here's one from New Zealand. The headline, there's no crook like an old crook. The story, an elderly man stole dozens of avocados from a family's tree and then fled on a mobility scooter, according to police. Bert Glazer of Auckland said his partner spotted the old man and an accomplice knocking the fruit loose with a 12-foot pole, which police dusted for fingerprints. We find that last year, 
other thieves swiped more than 200 avocados from the same tree. Now, avocados do grow abundantly. When I was in Nigeria, the house I lived in, we had an avocado tree that had a lot of avocados, and we used to give them to people in the neighborhood. Too many to eat. But anyway, headline, KK Sweet Nicks. KK Sweet Nicks. Members of the Ku Klux Klan have been leaving candy on homeowners' lawns in Pennsylvania as a recruiting strategy. However, neighbors are not sweet on the visits from the racists. Baggies of candy hearts were stapled to pamphlets made by the loyal white knights of the North Carolina branch of the white supremacist group. It has also been reported that a number of residents in the town of Hattiesboro have called the police to complain of the activity. Finally, from Pennsylvania, no free hooch to this coach. A modern-day Robin Hood was kicked off a flight for sneaking free alcohol from first class to his buddies in the coach section. The incident happened on an American Airlines flight from Philly to Atlanta before the doors were even closed. Witnesses said the man ordered six shots and tried to take four of them to his friends who were seated in coach. He was swiftly escorted off the flight. (laughs) All right, those are your dumb criminal law stories for this week. How about some riddles? EJ, you ready for these riddles? I'm ready. I can't say I'm going to know the answer. Well, these are pretty easy. These are pretty easy. First riddle. Why did the chicken cross the playground? Why did the chicken cross the playground? Well, we'll get to the other side. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you at the end. Next, next one. Why shouldn't you write with a broken pencil? Why shouldn't you write with a broken pencil? Okay. Here's the last one for the day. A man said, what happened when I became a vegetarian? What happened when I became a vegetarian? I'll give you the answers at the end of the show. on. We're coming near to the end of our show. I usually do a Paul Harvey story at this time, but this week I have something a little bit different. David Whitley is a columnist for the Orlando Sentinel, and he wrote a little article a couple of weeks ago reminding us that September 17th was the 231st day or 31st year of the signing of the Constitution of the United States. Isn't that something? Mr. Whitley goes on to say that the University of Pennsylvania poll last year found that 37% of Americans couldn't name a single right protected by the First Amendment. Only one in three could name any branch of the U.S. government. A majority, 53%, who were polled believe that legal immigrants have no rights under the Constitution. That's not true. Well, we don't teach enough of it. At any rate, he goes on to say the old document now revolutionized the world. Kings, emperors, and dictators had run things for eons, but for the first time, it's we the people. Thomas Jefferson came up with that line, we the people. Thomas Jefferson's words essentially meant that people need to know what the heck is going on with their government. Now, Mr. Whitley says, the least we can do is know the basics of the Constitution to see just how a shame 
you should be on this day or the day of the signing of the Constitution 231 years ago. Here's a quick and easy 10-question quiz. I'm going to give it to you, see how many you can get. I'll give you the answers as we go along. First question, the Bill of Rights was included in the original Constitution, true or false? That's false. Two, which founding father did not sign the Constitution? George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, or George Jefferson? (laughs) (laughs) The answer, of course, is Thomas Jefferson. He was over in France representing the United States. How many amendments have been made to the Constitution? 17, 27, or 34? The answer is 27. Who is the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court? That's number four. Is it John Roberts, Thurgood Marshall, or Judge Judy? (laughs) (laughs) The answer is John Roberts. He's the, uh, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. Okay, number five. The Constitution gave women the right to vote. Yes or no? True or false? It's false. As a matter of fact, women did not get the vote until 50 years after the Civil War ended. Number six. Which signee also discovered electricity? Which signee of the Constitution also discovered electricity? Was it James Madison, Thomas Edison, or Benjamin Franklin? Well, of course, it was Benjamin Franklin and his kite. You know that. All right. Again, this is the easy one. The Constitution was signed on what day? September 17th, 1787. Okay. Number eight. Was Al Gore a founding father? Was Al Gore a founding father? True or false? Of course, that's false. He wasn't a founding father. He wasn't even alive. All right, number nine. That's right. Where is the Constitution kept? Where is the Constitution kept? That's the ninth question. Is it in the National Archives in Washington, D.C.? Is it in Hillary Clinton's mail server, email server? Or is it in Donald Trump's golf bag? Well, the answer is the Constitution is at the National Archives in Washington, D.C. Finally, number 10, what did the signees of the Constitution do after concluding their business 231 years ago? Did they ring the Liberty Bell? Did they parade down Pennsylvania Avenue? Or did they hit a bar? The answer is they hit a bar called the City Tavern to blow off steam. (laughs) I don't know how many of those you got. But our little author says that if you got um, eight to ten of the answers correct, you're ready to teach constitutional law at the University of Chicago. If you got five to seven correct, uh, with luck, you might pass the U.S. citizenship exam. And if you only got three to four correct, you may watch much too much TV. Finally, he says if you only got one or two correct answers, please do not exercise your constitutional right to vote. (laughs) Oh, that came from um, David Whitley. All right, before we sign off here, folks, I've got to give you the answers to the riddles. The first one, why did the chicken cross the playground? Why did the chicken cross the playground? Well, to get to the other slide. (laughs) Number two, why shouldn't you write with a broken pencil? Why shouldn't you write with a broken pencil? It's pointless. (laughs) that's why you shouldn't write with a broken pencil it's pointless good when i became a veterinarian what happened when i became a veterinarian a man says what happened what happened it was a huge missed stake get it 
It should be when I became a vegetarian. Yes, when I became a vegetarian, what happened? It was a huge missed steak. <laughs> Makes sense now, huh? <laughs> All right, those are your riddles for the day. All right, I know we're at the end here. Let me tell you my thought for the week here that I want you to know. Here it is. An ancient script asks, Would you let a man rule the city who cannot even rule his own spirit? Sometimes we do. Here it is again. An ancient script asks, Would you let a man rule the city who cannot even rule his own spirit? Sometimes we do. Think about that. This is Birdsong. I'm here with EJ. We're signing off. Bye-bye, folks. We'll be back with you next week.